question is, for week one, the question is, what is hope? What is hope? That's the week that we're in. And it's worth asking, where does hope come from? A few minutes ago, we read a passage from Psalm 25 that kind of gets at the subject. And in that passage, the psalmist wrote, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. We've read this sort of thing many times this year at Revolutionists. We've been talking about hope, which has been our subject for all of 2021. And I really do believe this. The psalmist wants God to reveal himself and to reveal the psalmist's path through this difficult time. And the psalmist has trust that this God of Israel's history is a God who can do that, who can reveal that path. He says, lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. He feels this way. He feels like he can put his hope in the God of Israel because God has been faithful and true in all the stories that he's learned over and over through their history. God has been faithful and true to the Israelites. So, the psalmist believes he can truly have hope that God will come through for him. And that is something that I've said a dozen times this year in sermons. But it's also something that I've spent this year trying to live out. And the truth is that this gets pretty complicated when we try to put it into practice. Because after all, though we like to say things like past performance indicates future behavior, it's counselor talk, right? Do we do this? Anyways, as much as we like to think these kinds of things, I think it's fair to admit that it's never really an ironclad rule. And when I think about my hope, my down-at-the-very-center-of-me trust and my down-at-the-very-center-of-me sense of peace that I have a future. I really want that to have more of an anchor than just, well, it's always worked like this before. I can say that I trust that my roof is not going to leak tonight. And the biggest reason I have that trust is because over the last four years it hasn't leaked. But who knows, right? Maybe tonight's the night. We have a mouse in our house right now. Or maybe we don't, but we had one this week. We had had no mice before. Like, maybe today's the day. Maybe tonight's the night. My point is that my hope, this future-looking thing, needs more, I think, than just trust. And I think what distinguishes the two is that hope doesn't just look backwards, it looks forwards. Hope is trust plus a promise. In the following verses from Psalm 25, the psalmist begins to look at the kinds of promises that God has made, at the stuff that God has said that He will do in the future, but stuff that God has not yet done. And he writes this in verses 8 through 10. He writes, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of His covenant. 
And I think the reference there to covenant at the end puts the whole drama in perspective. God has kept His word to Israel, and there are words that He has yet to keep which can be trusted. And specifically, the psalmist remembers that God has promised to do this thing where He's supposed to guide the humble in what is right and to teach them His way. And this is something that we've seen in the mouths of the prophets, and it's something that's known throughout Israel, that one day in the future, God is going to take the law that He has given to His people a step further than it was ever taken in the temple, and He's going to bring His wisdom and His justice to the lives of everybody everywhere. That's the promise. So, the logic goes, can't the psalmist then find his own hope in his ability to participate in that promised story? God has been good to Israel. Will he not be good to the poet? God has promises for Israel. Does he not have promises for the poet if the demands of the covenant are kept? That's the situation the psalmist is in, the situation we are in. Can we really trust that the promises God has given to us about a future include us? Can we have hope? One of the most important things about this season, about every year I spill the communion cups at Advent at some point or another, and I just was that close. Anyways, I'm just going to shuffle just to the side a little bit. One of the most important things about this season, aside from spilling grape juice on carpet, is that it gives us a chance to shake up. See, even here, the words shake up feels inappropriate at this moment. Anyways, one of the most important things about why we do things the way we do them here is that it gives us this chance, this season gives us this chance to kind of shake up our worship so that we can re-encounter church in a way that makes the old new again. That's sort of what we're up to with this. So we use this different liturgy where we have these parts that you guys participate in. We meet in a different way. We set up our space differently. And we do all these things in order to help us to keep our eyes open. That's the practice that we're trying to, to encourage, keeping our eyes open. And the reason we want to keep our eyes open is so we can better recognize the unexpected when it shows up here. Because that's something that if we don't build in disciplines of seeing things freshly. It's something we lose the ability to do. And the reason we attach all of that habit building and all of that, all of that to the season of Advent in particular is because, of course, Advent is this story about the struggle of recognizing something unexpected. The promises that the psalmist is trying to attach his hope to those promises that God put in the mouths of the prophets about how his kingdom is going to come. Those promises were at the center of Jewish faith for hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And everybody was on the lookout for Jesus. They were on the lookout for all that time. And yet, when He comes, almost nobody recognizes Him. So the riddle becomes, how is that possible? How is it possible? What went wrong? And to get to the heart of things for us tonight, if we need promises to give us more than just a good bet based on the track record of things, but to give us something that we might call real hope, what do we do when those promises are coming from a God who has a track record of being surprising? 
a God who does what He promises in consistently unexpected ways. How can we be on the lookout for that? Surely, the psalmist imagined that God's guidance for Israel was going to come in a predictable form, right? It was going to come in the form of a stone tablet from on high, or it was going to come in the mouth of a prophet. He imagined God's rule as the rule of a general or the rule of a king, and he imagines his relationship to God as this relationship between a Lord and His servant. And so, he and then those who came after him, generation after generation, set their sights on just such a future, a prince, a rabbi, a soldier. And then who came? None of those. None. Rather, God chose to guide his people, not from above, but to guide them from among. Where a king was expected, a baby was delivered where supreme power seemed to be necessary, the God of the universe, where supreme power seemed to be necessary, the God of the universe tethered himself to the body of a young woman whose own blood nourished him and kept his heart beating. God became so fragile. Why? I think the surprise, the miracle of Christmas has always been this. It's always been God's intimacy. That He placed Himself in the care of His own creation. That He chose to grow as one of us and to lead others as one of us and to make friends not with the powerful or with those who might be more easily convinced of who He truly was, but with those whose worldly cares left them little room for speculations about messiahs or futures. The surprise, the miracle, is that when we expected a God of power to prove His authority to us, what we got instead was a God committed to earning His authority. So how unnecessary is that? How strange. And yet that's what we're here for, right? This gift of an intimate Savior who shows us Himself which way to go. I think the conclusion that we have to draw if we're going to stitch these pieces together is that our God is a God with more wild and grand and surprising love and faithfulness than any people anywhere could have ever expected, and we're no different. So here's what I think we can do to tie all of this up. This is the, the turn of the homily. This is the point. If the surprise of Jesus reminds us that the hope we are looking for might come from an unexpected place, the intimacy of what we get in Jesus teaches us that the unexpected place that we should be looking for isn't a mystery. We don't have to keep our eyes out in every direction at once. What we get is more. What we get is more. It's wherever more might come from. It's wherever whatever more might mean. Because that's actually God's track record. It's extravagance. It's extravagance. Those looking for Jesus for all those years shortchanged just how, just how radical a truly loving God was planning to love His people. They took the God of the universe and shrunk it down into something that would make sense. So as we hope to learn from their story, what can we do? 
I think we can have the courage to refuse to sell our expectations about God short. I think we can look for more. My hypothesis tonight is that doing this, constantly challenging our own expectations and asking, is God bigger than I think He is? That that action is actually what transforms our trust into hope. Which, of course, isn't to say that I have it. (laughs) When I look at my own life in this season over the last few months, I can see that my own sights are set so, so low. My highest hope for this weekend and my time with my family and my in-laws was just that nobody would fight. That was the best I had in mind. My highest hope for my kids is that they won't be disappointed. My highest hopes for our church right now is that we'll just hang on. My highest hopes for the presents under my Christmas tree, and this is not a joke, Meredith can vouch for this, my highest hopes for the presents under the tree for me are new socks. But the thing is, if I were to like look up from those socks, if I could find the courage to ask myself not what is reasonable to expect from God or what I might do if I were God, but to ask what kind of things does the kind of God that I have heard stories about actually do? How much would that expectation dwarf whatever it is I have my sights set on? And all of this is a way of asking, what if the reason that we don't see more of what God is doing is because we're looking too low all the time? That we're missing the tree because we keep looking at the trunk that we're missing the miracles because we're stuck at a scale that values being practical over being a living divine mystery incarnate. And I'm asking a lot of questions tonight, and I'm not giving many answers to them, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm not that sorry about it. Because I think if we're going to truly encounter hope this Advent, we need to start by making ourselves uncomfortable We need to start by contemplating what we're not sure of. I think that's the best place to start. We need to have our eyes up to be looking. We know that God has been faithful, and we know that he has made these great, unbelievable promises. The question is, are we really looking to see if he'll keep them? Are we open to an experience of wonder? Are we prepared to accept something that goes beyond our wildest hopes or expectations? Will we recognize a king in a manger if he was right in front of our faces? I think that by God's grace, we can be, we can do this, we can look up, we can expect more, we can get excited for a gift that's infinitely greater than socks on Christmas. Our skepticism and our cynicism are the things that hold us back from all that. So this season, this season, let's do our best to let those things go. Let's, that, let's let that be challenge for week one. Just let those things go. Let's open ourselves up for the next month to wonder. Let's open ourselves up to hope. 
Because that's what I need. <laughs> that's what I need. It's what I feel pretty compelled to talk about, and I imagine that it's something that we all need. We need something more. What if God's trying to give it to us? I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue in our service this morning, this evening. God, thank you for who you are and who you have been and who you are promising to be. And God, I am sorry for the ways that I sell that short and the ways that that blinds me to the ways that you're trying to show me who you are and how you love me. God, I pray that this season that I'll be able to focus, that we'll all be able to focus on wonder, on being on the lookout for something greater than we expect. God, make yourself unmissable to us. Make yourself unmissable. We love you as best we can, and we thank you. In your son's name, amen.